0: Welcome to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here today with my wife, Natasha Mason.
1: Hi, guys.
0: There she is over on the side. So we're back again to do another podcast with you. This podcast is going to be titled, What is the Symbol of the Church? Um, so it's a very interesting um, interesting idea and concept. Uh, the question, really, that I have that I've, I've heard from other people over the years and some people have challenged. Um What is typically, first off, what is typically, uh, we're going to jump right in, but what is typically the symbol of the church? The cross. Right. So typically the symbol of the church has been the cross for years from the time that Jesus was... Crucified, um, even up to now. So if you drive around your local neighborhoods or you travel around the world, um, you're going to see the cross on the buildings. You're going to see uh, the Catholic Church uses crosses everywhere. They're um, they're in their iconography. They're they're everywhere. Um, they have big gold ones and they have small ones. And uh, Protestant churches use the cross, and even churches that do not consider themselves to be descendants of the Catholic Church. Um, use the cross as the symbol of the church. Now, looking at the church, um, we know that's rooted in the word ekklesia, which is Greek, and it means congregation. So the um, the word church in our Bible doesn't mean the building or a place that we go to worship God. Right. So I want to get that out of the way first, because I think a lot of people have a, a hard time distinguishing or differentiating between the two. If you are born again and you're in the body of Christ, you are the church. You are the church. There is no build. The building is not the church where you go to meet with other people is not the church. The people you meet with, that is the body of Christ. That is the ecclesia. That is the congregation of Christ. So, um, you know, I think when I was growing up, I would always hear people say, welcome to the house of the Lord on Sunday or whatever it was. They would say, you're in the Lord's house now. And while I understand the idea there, it's, it's not a totally accurate biblical concept because the scripture says, you are now the dwelling, you're the temple of the most high God. So where he used to dwell in the temple in the Holy of Holies, uh, the veil was rent from top to bottom, and now he dwells inside of us. And we have become the temple of the living God. So when we refer to the church we should always use it in the sense that we're referring to the body of Christ, the group or the gathering of Christ, not a building, not a location, not a place, you know. Um we so often I think one of the things the scriptures always remind me of is it says there's there's now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Um, but so many times people get beaten over the head with, well, you didn't come to church, I didn't see you in church. I, I honestly, a hundred percent believe that it is beneficial for the family of Christ, the body of Christ, to want to be together. That's how we're supposed to be there brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. We're supposed to want to get together with other Christians and share. And so, you know, uh, we talked about in the last podcast, when we were talking about Jesus returning and Thessalonians says that we're supposed to edify each other and we're supposed to encourage each other with the words that Christ is coming. And, you know, it's hard to do that if you're not with a group of people who believe the same thing. So... Really getting together and um, having those opportunities to be around people who want to do right is an awesome opportunity, right? Um, But we know, we understand, you know, that there are people who are working and people who have things in their life that come up and people who are um, stuck inside their homes and they can't get out because they're sick or they're bedridden or they're elderly or whatever it is. Um, And so it's nice if they can make it, but one of the last things we should ever do is really beat people over the head with this idea that, well, you didn't come to church. No, they didn't come to the gathering of the church because we are the body of Christ. So if you know, in that regard, if we know there are people who can't make it or there are people who have uh, obligations or there are people who are physically unable, that's where it's our job to go to them. Scripture says we're supposed to go to the shut-ins, the widows, the prisoners, the people who can't make it, right? Because we are the body of Christ. We're the church. So we get back to the idea of what is the symbol of the church? What is the symbol of of the body of christ and over the centuries um i would say once christianity hit rome once it was taken to rome probably with peter um it really caught on and a lot of the imagery became the cross because that's what they had crucified christ on the romans had crucified him on the cross they crucified thousands of people and they used the the cross um, some biblical theologians who think Jesus was, could have been crucified on a tree because the Bible does say a tree, um, with a cross beam. Um, there's some who believe I read one time, there was a pastor a oh, long time ago who believed that Christ was crucified to a wall type of a structure. I don't know where he got that idea, but that was kind of what he thought. Um, there's even some, uh, people out there who believe that cru- he was crucified on a spike, which is just a vertical stick that had no cross beam on it, and his hands were nailed above his head, and then above his head would be the signage. Um, So there's a couple different things there that people believe he could have been crucified on. And when it comes down to it, you know, Paul says, um, he says, basically, brother, and I I, I want, want to know nothing among you except for Christ crucified, right? That's what he wants to know. Um, and so we get to the idea of what is the church. Now, there's some people who don't go to uh, Christian churches these days because they believe that we worship an idol, which is an image, right? Um, so the Bible says not to make unto thyself any graven images, um, but we carry the cross around and we hang it up on the side of the building and we put it in our churches. And it, it, it if you know the history of the cross, it is a, um, it's a pagan idea. It's a pagan thing. Um, I had some, I told somebody one time, they said, you know, I don't think Jesus was crucified on the, on the T shaped cross because it was a, it was a pagan image. And I said, what better thing to crucify the lamb of God, the Holy God of Israel? What, what better thing to crucify him on than a pagan image? because you're basically trying to nail God to this thing that was a a pagan icon or a pagan image. And, and so Christians over the years, we took it and we've used it. Um, we've used it as the symbol of the church. Um, during the crusades, they went out, they painted the cross on their shields and they carried the cross in front of them. Catholic church, when they come out uh, in front of the Pope, they've always got the gold staff with the cross on top. And, And a lot of that goes back to Moses in the wilderness. Um, So, you know, I think we look at that and we think that's the image that the Bible portrays as the church. Um, One of the things I was doing in kind of the study of this a little bit, I got into Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, um, which was really interesting. Um, Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, take up your cross and follow after me right? So he's, he's telling us to do something daily. We're supposed to take up our cross and follow after him. And one of the things I was praying about it, cause I like to, I want to, you know, I really look for the Lord to give me little bits more than what I normally think about. So when you think of the cross, what do you think of?
1: Jesus dying.
0: Okay. And uh, when you, I'm trying to get a little more. Yes. He died on the cross, but when he says, take up your cross and follow after me, what is the first thing that goes into your mind? What do you, What is the image of you taking up your cross mean?
1: My burdens.
0: Your burdens. So I would honestly think, and I would honestly agree with everyone, that the cross seems burdensome, right? We're putting that, we're taking up our cross daily and following after him.
1: It's like so, your chains.
0: Right. So is that what he wants us to do is the real question. Is that what that verse means? And I think... No offense to her, because I've thought the same thing for a long time. I thought when the scripture said, "Take up your cross and follow after me," it means this idea of picking up something heavy, you know, picking up this thing. It's not and, and you could describe it as a burden. I, the cross would definitely be a burden if you carried it, um, but you are taking up this thing and you are following after Christ. And I was reading that scripture today, and I was praying over it, and I said, "Lord, I'm I just don't get that's what it, I don't think that's what it is, because you said cast all your cares on Jesus because He cares for you." You said, um, "All you that are heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me." He's telling us to cast our burdens upon him. So
1: why would we? Why would he tell us to pick take up, up your cross?
0: Exactly. So that was oh yeah, we're gonna have a moment. So, <laughs> so that was the question I was having. I'm saying, Lord, if I'm supposed to cast all my cares on you and my burdens upon you, why? Would I pick up something that is cumbersome? Why would I pick up this cross every day? And why would I carry that? And he said, because that's where your freedom is. It's not a symbol of burden. It is a symbol of your freedom. Your cross. Take up your cross daily. The very fact that you have been saved and born again and follow after me. And when sin comes into your life, you show up the cross because that's where it was crucified. That's where it was left. Now the cross takes on a different image. It's not this heavy thing. It's not this heavy thing of burden. It is a image of freedom. This thing is freedom. So when I wake up every day, I don't want to, now I'm not thinking about, well, I've got to take up my cross because it's not burden. It's, it's freedom from sin. It's freedom from burden. So now I'm taking it and it it gives a little more content. When I think of it that way, it changes the way I perceive that verse because I was like, what, what? Okay. You know, I mean, I've always known I'm supposed to take up my cross, but it's because it's, it's freeing me. From sin. And I have to constantly remind this flesh that it was crucified with Christ, and it's not I I that live, but Christ within me. So all of my life and my burdens and my sins have been overcome through Christ who overcame the world. So I have to pick this up every morning because this flesh is weak, and our bodies are weak, and our minds are weak, and we know we have faith that we believe and we trust, but. Man, you know, sometimes you got to pick that stick up and you got to whack that sin right on the head. It's kind of a little metaphor of it, but you really do. You've got to remind yourself and this world that you do not belong to them. So, you know, the Lord rolled that, and I was like, okay, that's, yeah, that's a lot more than what I thought that verse was really meaning. I mean, and and it's probably meant that the whole time. I just, my understanding is not always.
1: You know, the, the saying, walk softly and carry a big stick. Yeah. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah,
0: it really is, because you're 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 treading in the footsteps of the Savior and you are carrying this thing where he was crucified, this this idea that I am free because I have been crucified with Christ. I'm taking that up daily and I'm walking in that victory over sin in the world. So I mean that's so we look at that, right? So we get that idea in our head that this is um this is the image that we want to use. We want to use the cross, but is it really specifically what the Bible talks about? So I, I want to kind of challenge the idea that the cross is the image of the church. It's what we're supposed to represent who we are in, uh, to the world. Um, and I'm going, to have your, I'm going to have Natasha read a couple of verses, um, and we're going to talk about this image real quick. Go ahead and start if you don't mind.
1: So this is First Kings seven forty-eight and forty-nine, and Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord the golden altar and the table whereupon the showbread was of gold and the candlesticks five on the right and five on the left before the sanctuary of pure gold and the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold.
0: Is that good? Is that it? Yeah. All right, that's it from that. So we've got a couple different scripture passages we're going to go through. Um, so what I really want to focus on there is this is um, this is Solomon. He's building God a temple. Um, the, the thing you need to understand about the temple of God is he did not want a temple, but David wanted to build a temple to him. Um, and God did not allow David to do that, but he said, I will let Solomon, your son, he's going to build a big temple, He's a, a, a glorious temple, whatever. So in that verse, we see a description of uh, 10 Uh, What are commonly known as candlesticks in this, in the scriptures that we currently use. And there were 10 of them and they were uh, five on the left and five on the right. These were five and a half feet tall and they were made of solid gold. So go ahead and read on to the next one.
1: This is second Chronicles four, seven. And he made the 10 candlesticks of gold according to the ordinance concerning them. And he set them in the temple five on the right and five on the left.
0: So we've got another, another passage telling us uh, about these candlesticks that were in the temple. All right, going on to another one.
1: Jeremiah
0: 52. Yeah, let me see this one real quick because I'm not quite sure how much of that. So we're in Jeremiah 52, and I will read through. And it came to pass in the ninth month of his reign. In the tenth month of, this is uh, where uh, Zedekiah is, uh, reigning in Jerusalem and, uh, the, the city is overthrown and all these uh, images, all these things, the golden, the, the, candles, the, everything that was in the temple was taken out. And I'm basically going to paraphrase this passage because it's a little bit long. Um, but he, all these, I, all these things are taken away because, um, the people of Israel were sinning against God. The king was sinning against God, and God had mercy with them for about nine years, and then He allowed the city to be under siege for two years, and then they ransacked the city and they emptied out the temple and they took everything away. And uh, it was uh, one thing. The reason I picked this passage out is because I think it showed to me the humility of God, because God did not desire to have a temple. He was happy when they were in the wilderness. He dwelt in the tabernacle that was made of skins. He was happy to be there. He didn't need a fancy building and all the gold and all that so he didn't need all that he was not a god who desired all of those things so he when the people sinned he allowed it to be taken all of it to be taken away and he was he was fine with that um so we got this idea that Solomon built a fancy temple and he put all these things in there. There's so many altars and, uh, candlesticks and all these things. So in the English, and I, and I'm going to throw this out there real quick in the English, we call it a candlestick, right? Um, in the Hebrew, they would call it a menorah. Um, you would see it, it would have, uh, arms. If you look up menorah, you Google it, you're going to see images of that. Um, so anyway, there was 10 of these menorahs in there and they were five and a half foot tall. And they were solid gold. Um, at the time, they represented the nations of the world. Um, and they were just, they would light up the, the temple, right? That's what they were there for was to give light. So we go into, what verse are we looking at?
1: Psalms 119. All right, go ahead and give us that. 105. One. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path.
0: So the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a lamp. And that lamp gives off light. So he is the light unto our path. Go to the next
1: one. Psalms 119, 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple.
0: Nice. So his very word gives light. So go to the next one.
1: Proverbs six twenty three. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life.
0: So his word and his commandments are light. Um, anybody kind of catching a, a repeating, a recurring light theme here? Lamp. Light are lights and lamps. So keep going.
1: John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life.
0: Ooh, there we go. So now Jesus himself is claiming to be the light of the world. Whoever follows after him will not walk in darkness, but will walk in that light of life. All right, where are we at next one?
1: Matthew 5:14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle but put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven.
0: All right. So we're looking right now, we keep going over and you're getting a kind of an idea here is that we're talking about light and we're talking about lamps and we're talking about being a light unto the world. So when we look at the church and we see, you know, in the scripture multiple times, it talks about Jesus being the light in the book of revelation. It says in the city of heaven in the kingdom to come that there is no sun, there is no moon for Christ is the light thereof. He will be all the light that we ever need. So light because the scripture just told us, is what dwells in us. And then he tells us that we are to go into the world and we're to be the light of the world. So number one, we know that the, the body of Christ is supposed to be a light, right? So we're supposed to be a light. So then the question is, is if we're supposed to be a light, how does that, what does that represent? And so we get over to the book of Revelation, which we had talked about in the last two podcasts. In those, in the first couple chapters, you learn that he talks to the seven churches which are in Asia. So these are um, non, I would say they're non-Jewish churches, but they're not Hebraic churches as far as in Israel. They're not located in Israel. These are not Jews who have been converted. These are people in Asia who uh, who have come to the knowledge of Christ, but they're not necessarily the descendants of the Hebrews. So any Hebrew iconography, they might not understand. Um, But it's really interesting that in the book of Revelation, that's exactly how he describes the churches. And he says to them, I know the works that you've done. I know the deeds that you've done. And, uh, he who has the candlestick in his hand, you know, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, he could remove that candlestick. So he's in, in the book of Revelation, he's talking about this candlestick. Um, so, when you, when you get back to the, the root of it all, he's really talking about the menorah, because it has seven branches on it. I mean, he's talking about this thing that was in the temple, the very temple, the the, the thing that, that brought light, especially for the Hebrews and the Jews, was the menorah. So when we look at it, we think um, that's a Hebraic image, it's a Hebraic icon, but it is the icon in the book of Revelations, or the image in Revelations, that is given... To the church, it's it's the way he describes to the seven churches in Asia. This is what you're. Each one of you is a candlestick, but that candlestick. So just replace that word with menorah, because that's what he's talking about. Each one of you is a menorah, and if you're, you know, your light's not shining, and so when Christ is dwelling in us and we're a light to the world, that's the representation of who the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a light, um, and I think over the centuries. Um, One of the greatest, uh, we always go back to Martin Luther, the great reformationist who posted his 95 thesis on the door. Uh, Martin Luther is historically, and I've got notes on that, maybe get back into it another day. But um, if you go back and look through some of the stuff that he wrote, he was very anti-Semitic. He did not like the Jews at all. Um, At the first, at the outset of Martin Luther's ministry, he was very sympathetic to the Jews and he wanted to bring them into uh, what he considered the body of Christ because he thought, well, we'll just convert them well, you know, we'll convert the Jews. Yes. They crucified Christ. Yes. They've had a bad rap in history and we'll convert the Jews. Um, later on in his writing uh Martin Luther there's actually a book he, he talks about I believe it's titled The Jews and Their Lies um but he goes on to say that their very houses and everything they own should be burned to the ground and everything should be taken from them and they should be thrown into the streets and he wanted Martin Luther was very big about any kind of hebraic imagery being removed from the church he didn't want anything that had to do with the Jews in the church because he saw them as um they, he saw them as people who, who weren't deserving of anything because they had abandoned Christ, which is absolutely not true because we know the 12 disciples were Jews. We know the first converts were Jews. We know uh, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. They were uh, probably, pro- I mean, that was a huge group of Jews. Right. So it wasn't every Jew that turned their back on Christ. Um, but as a whole, as a people, they were slandered for so long because of it. And it makes a really in that in that regard, it's um, no surprise that they don't want to. A lot of them don't want anything to do with Christianity because it's always been very oppressive. Um, Right now in the state of Israel, if you go to Israel and you try to uh, proselytize, you try to preach the gospel of Jesus, you can be arrested. They don't allow proselytizing because they see it as an oppressive thing, that people have oppressed the Jews for years. Now, the scripture tells us that we are to try and make them jealous, right? We're supposed to provoke the Jews to jealousy. That's exactly what it says. So how do you provoke them to jealousy by loving Jesus and by throwing everything that's Jewish about Jesus out the window and saying, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a blue eyed, blonde haired Greek guy that we got painted on the wall at church. We throw all the Jewish stuff out the window and, and now we replace the whole, we're, we're, you know, we replace all the Jews in God's favor and, um, there's no opportunity there to go to them and to make them jealous. And so this is, this is one of the reasons why I believe we're Messianic is because we really see the side of it that, that Jesus himself, Yeshua was a Jewish rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi, and he taught these ideas, and he taught them Torah. This is what he was doing at 12 years old in the temple. He was explaining the Torah of God to them. Um, And so, you know, when you look at it, and the scripture is saying, I think when we look at Israel, um, the, the menorah is an example. It's everywhere. They use it at Hanukkah. They use it for um, a Passover. There's just, it's everywhere. It's And so when people in the world sees it, the world thinks, oh, that's a...
1: Hanukkah. Yeah, it's, it's Hanukkah. It's,
0: it's Jewish, right? But according to the scriptures in the book of Revelation, he is saying, this is the church. This is a symbol of the church because you are to be a unique light to the world, not a candlestick that has one candle on it. You're to be a light that can't be hidden, right? You're supposed to be this big thing that is just... Uh, people see it and they, and they see something outstanding as something that is different. You have to honestly admit that the menorah is a candlestick that you've never seen before.
1: Like a candelabra.
0: I've never seen one quite like it myself. Um. So, you know, and, and when we get back to the, the 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 heart and the root of it, it's not really about the, the imagery and things, whether it's the cross or whether it is the menorah, it, it doesn't really matter in the long run. The idea is you are to go into the world and preach the gospel, right? That's what you're supposed to do, preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. And what does the gospel do? It shines into the darkness. Um. You know, I was talking to my wife. I was uh, kind of praying through some of this, too. And I was, I was talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord— What is it about light that is different? Because I want to know something different about light. Um, You know, look at the sun in the sky. The sun in the sky. And I asked her this. I said, the sun in the sky gives, um, it causes everything to what? Grow. Right. Does Does the sun in the sky and the light that it gives differentiate between the weed and the healthy plant? No. It doesn't pick a choice. It doesn't make a choose. You you have a garden. You plant tomatoes in it, and and the tomatoes grow. And beside the tomato come up the weeds, right? And the sun is doing that. It's the sun because of photosynthesis is giving life to these two different things. One is very good, and one is very very bad. Um, and so that's what the light, the sun does. But the light of of God, the light that we have, the light of Jesus that dwells in our heart is completely different from that because there is no sin in Him. There's no wrong in Him. The light that God shines into our life only produces good fruit. This is where the scripture says we're to bring forth fruit, fruit from the Holy Spirit, right? What does it take to do that? It takes light. It takes the word of God. Oh that's something else right there.
1: Warmth. Yes.
0: Because if we can't feed you're not gonna you know, so many times you're gonna find people who um, who are content letting others do, right? If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you, you have a Bible, I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to use it. I encourage you to soak it in because it is, it is life and it is light. And as we soak that in, our bodies begin, our spirits begin to give off fruit. The fruit of the spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit, and it comes out of us. And that's what manifests itself that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's that light and life who is Jesus that touches the world. Um, you know
1: and you can almost see it in people
0: yes uh, there there's been times where I've I've seen people I've, I've met people I've never known them don't know the first thing about them but when I've met them I knew that person right there is a believer I don't know how I know that but that person and I would be right that person's a believer because there there's something different about a believer than, than a lost person right so it's to sum this up, really, uh, if you go to the book of Revelation, the symbol of the church would be the menorah. It would be a, a candlestick um, because we are to be the light to the world. This is what he's telling them in, in, in there in the first couple chapters of Revelation. So it's really interesting. I just thought I, I, we would do a little podcast on it because we want to be a light to the world um, and give you a little references to where that might come from. Um, one other thing is, what is darkness? Cold ow got a cat jumped on me um th- yes <laughs> darkness is cold but what is uh, darkness is the absence of light right so darkness is not a thing darkness is not even really an uh, it's not a substance you can't go outside and get a handful of darkness it just it's not a substance is the absolute absence of light when there's no light there's darkness and so you have to look at the world the same way the lost are lost because they have no light in them where there's the absence of Christ, there is darkness. When you look around and you see bad things going on in the world, it's the absence of Christ. It's the absence of God in their lives uh, to make them right, because that right brings in truth and it brings in love and it brings in mercy and it brings in God's goodness. So uh, yeah, Uh, you're going to hear the cat. (laughs) Jesus purring purring. So anyway, that's been it for this episode. We appreciate you listening. We hope you share uh, with your friends and family. Let them know to listen to the Abnormal Christian. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those wonderful places. If you are a saved and born again Christian, you will eventually meet me and my wife um, in this life or in the kingdom of God. Because we're going, and I hope you're going with us too. Um, next time we're probably going to, let's see what we're going to talk about next time. Suck out. Okay. We're probably going to hit on the topic of Sukkot because I really want to explain kind of what it's one of the Jewish festivals, one of the festivals of God, let me rephrase that, from the Old Testament. There were seven of them God told us to do, and Sukkot is coming up in a few weeks in October, and I really want to explain that and lay it out for people so they could kind of have an understanding of what it means.
1: And since he was Jewish, he would have...
0: Yes, Jesus actually did Sukkot. So uh, we're going to go into that and we're going to have a little bit of a discussion of of what it means to the church because there's a lot of valuable information there. Um, So stay tuned for that and uh, we will catch you again. See ya. All right.